welcome back to another episode of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm very honoured to be joined by Jay Hill, the current leader of the Maverick Party of Canada. Alright everyone, welcome back to episode 14 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by Jay Hill, the interim leader of the Maverick Party, formerly known as Wexit Canada, and was the previous MP for Peace Prince George Peace River. Thanks for joining us, Jay. It's great to have you. Good to be with you, Aiden. All right, perfect. I'll let you start by telling us off a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born and raised up in Fort St. John in the uh, far north of British Columbia, in the what's known as the BC Peace River region, and uh, raised on a farm there. Uh, after graduating high school, I worked uh, in the oil and gas fields, and then I ultimately went back to the farm and expanded the family farm with my one younger brother and my parents uh, until I got interested in politics and got upset with where the country was headed. And so I um, first ran for the Reform Party of Canada when it was less than a year old in 1988. All reformers in that election lost stayed involved uh, for the next five years as well as went back to the farm obviously during a living mm -hmm. and uh, was successful in fending off a nomination challenge from uh, three other gentlemen in the riding. I got elected in 93 and then elected five more times after that and uh, served 17 years as the member of parliament for Prince George Peace River. The last few years uh, was in the cabinet with Stephen Harper when he was prime minister of a conservative government. I uh, retired from federal politics, or at least I thought I did in 2010. And um, yeah, just a, uh, about eight months ago, got re-involved out of concern for my grandchildren. And uh, ultimately, along with a small board of directors, formed what is now the Maverick Party. And uh, we've taken it from there, trying to establish the credibility and, and building upon uh, the, uh, the start last summer and continuing to, uh, to build the Maverick Party as an alternative for Western Canadians in the next federal election. Great. Now, coming up to the, the next federal election, will you uh, remain as the leader and run for um, prime minister if you're the leader of the Maverick Party? Well, uh, two things on that. Uh, first of all, I have no intention of running for Parliament again. Uh, as I already indicated, I ran in seven federal elections, winning the last six of, of them. And uh, I think I've served my time, as it were, in the House of Commons, and it's up for up to uh, the next generation younger, younger people to take over that helm. So my role as interim leader of Maverick is really to establish, build, and, uh, and uh, continue to develop the Maverick Party, as I said, as a credible and viable opposition uh, for uh, Western Westerners to support in the next federal elections, should they so choose. Now, we're told that, um, that the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, may call an election at any time. Indeed, there was rumours of it last fall, and then rumours again this winter. And now there's still rumors that he may call an election for spring or early summer. And uh, so we're trying our best as a, as a new party, only six months old, to be ready for that election campaign. 
Now, whether I run or not uh, as leader in the sense of leading the party into the next election campaign, I think that if, it, if the uh, election comes in the short term, that is in the next six months, uh, yes, I probably will be uh, the leader uh, for Maverick through the campaign. It'll be a little bit of an odd situation where you have a, a leader as the chief spokesperson for a party, but not contesting a seat for parliament. Uh, secondly, um, you slipped up there, Aiden, and said, would you be running to be prime minister? Uh, the Maverick Party, as you know, is only going to run candidates in the West uh, forever and ever all men. So there's no chance that whoever is the leader of the Maverick Party uh, will ever be Prime Minister of Canada since we're not going to run in the majority of, of uh, seats or constituencies across the land. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the Maverick Party, is that a solution to the c current Conservative Party out West? Uh, they net zero emissions by 2050 is this like a a solution to conservatives out west from the conservative well, as party? I say, it's gonna, maverick will be presenting an alternative on a number of uh policies and a number of issues that are important to western canadians uh, the whole issue of climate change and the correct paths uh, uh that the uh the country should take the correct path rather, that the country should take in uh, assisting the world in combating climate change is up for debate. Uh, my feelings on this are pretty strong. Uh, I don't think that, for example, that the correct uh, process is to uh, burden Canadians all across the land, not just in the West, with this uh, huge carbon tax. Uh, I don't see what good is that going to do other than put more money in the pockets of politicians that don't know how to treat it properly anyway. And uh, I don't see where a carbon tax is going to uh, dramatically or even mildly affect emissions and affect um, the global um, fight against climate change. So we will be advocating uh, a common sense approach or what we believe is a common sense Western Canadian approach to the climate change and environmental protection insofar as it, we believe very strongly that the private sector, uh, especially in Western Canada, has been innovative, has been um, cutting edge with a lot of the um, uh, initiatives it's undertaken. Um, some obviously with the encouragement of targets and um, uh, uh, potential uh, ramifications from the federal government, but some that the industry has just done on its own. And uh, we have the cleanest and the um, most labor sensitive and uh, you know environmentally sensitive uh, industries in the world in Western Canada, not only the oil and gas industry, which obviously is often the focus, Aiden, mm -hmm. but also the mining industry, agriculture. Uh, dare I say, we've had mavericks at the leading edge of all these industries in Western Canada that have been developing environmentally sensitive uh, and climate positive um, initiatives. And I believe, and Maverick believes, that the, the 
path forward is to share that technology with the large emitters around the world, China, India, Indonesia, uh, Africa, Russia. Uh, if we were to share that technology that we've developed here in Western Canada, we would have a much greater impact on worldwide global emissions than anything that we might do as a nation in uh, handicapping our own industry and our own people here in Canada. So that's a different approach than what you'll hear from the others that have this nonsensical uh, approach of uh, zero emissions by 2050. Uh, you know, you notice that the Liberals and now the Conservatives are, are advocating that, but they don't tell you what kind of pain is going to have to be inflicted on Canada and our economy to achieve the, that target. And it's just unreasonable, and I think most people will come to see that, and they'll be looking at an alternative like the one that Maverick is going to bring forward. For sure. And, and um, just looking at articles and online, you're only going to be running Maverick uh, candidates in, in strong conservative ridings or, or any riding out west? What's your What's your well, goal ultimately, or outcome? Ultimately, just as with the Reform Party, it's going to take time uh, to establish Maverick uh, uh, EDAs, they're called now. Uh, we used to call them constituency or riding associations. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have about 14 up and running and recognized by the now. All of that's happened just since Christmas. So mm -hmm. we are uh, experiencing quite a bit of progress as a party. Uh, you're right. We are targeting the strongest conservative ridings uh, as our initial targets. And again, uh, as I did when I answered a previous question, part of it's going to depend on the Prime Minister when he calls the election. As far as how many ridings we're going to be organized in, how many ridings we'll have uh, credible quality, quality candidates to run for Maverick. Um, you know, and there's no point in running a good candidate if they don't have any chance of winning in the sense that they have to have a team behind them. We have to, as a party, we have to have the Electoral District Association organized to support them. Uh, that the, that candidate uh, can draw upon to form the nucleus of his or her uh, campaign team. Uh, we have to raise money, obviously, not only for the party itself to conduct a, a, a credible campaign, but for the individual candidates as well, so that they can run a credible campaign in their constituencies. So it's anybody's guess at this point how many ridings we'll be able to contest. You're right, we're only running in Western Canada. Uh, the four Western provinces have only 104 ridings. Of those, we've identified over 40 that have, uh, that the Conservatives won by such wide margins, like 60, 70, in some cases, 80% or more of the vote. Well, if you split those, <clears throat> those votes in half between a Conservative and a Maverick candidate, there's still no way that one of the other three parties, the Liberals, NDP, or Green, would win in those ridings. So for those Western Canadians, it'll be a choice between doing what they've done, in some cases for generations, mm -hmm. and send a Conservative to Ottawa as their member of Parliament, uh, or, uh, dare I say it, become a maverick themselves and uh, take the risk that's associated with a new party 
and uh, Senator Maverick, Member of Parliament. The big difference is that the Conservatives are always going to have to censor their members of Parliament in the West uh, because of the need to appeal to uh, where the votes are, which is Central Canada, Toronto, Montreal, and those areas. Uh, whereas a Maverick Member of Parliament will only speak and vote for what is good for Western Canada and his or her constituents. So um, that will be the big difference in this next election campaign for those uh, Westerners that will have the opportunity to mark their ballot for a Maverick. For sure. And, I'll, and um, have you had any members of parliament, conservative members of parliament, reach out and say that they that they like the party, they, they support the party, or they want to run in the next election as a Maverick? Uh, no, we have not. Uh, I have not had conversations uh, with uh, members, with the one exception, and with uh, members of parliament uh, from the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, although some of uh, the board of uh, Maverick Party uh, do have some personal relationships, whether it's with their own MP in some parts of the West or with others uh, that they have forged personal relationships with. And they've had those kind of conversations. Uh, I've been asked this question on, on a number of occasions uh, as to whether I believe that a Conservative might, uh, as you suggest, Aiden, reach out to either to myself or the party. Uh, and suggest they might be willing to cross over, as it were, from the Conservatives and become a Maverick and a Maverick candidate in the next election. I sincerely doubt that will happen uh, until Maverick uh, goes through one election cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, as a new party, it takes, and I often refer to this uh, for all of our members, and especially for those members that put their name forward and are identified as Mavericks, in their constituencies by sitting on the local board of directors. Uh, uh, that takes a lot of courage. We're a new party. Uh, we haven't proven our credibility yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we're obviously, uh, those of us that are involved at the party board of directors level are doing everything we can since forming the party last September. Um, we're doing everything we can to establish and build that credibility. But I think in the case of, as you're suggesting, conservatives that might consider that, uh, they won't seriously consider that until we've gone through one electoral cycle and proven ourselves. For sure. And, I, and now just looking at the going back from the Harpers to the Conservative Party now, how would you view the Conservative Party since, since Stephen Harper? Where do you think that it's gone wrong or switched on conservative policies? Like, where do you, what's your reaction to the current with Aaron with Aaron O'Toole taking the Conservative Party to the to the center right now? Well, I mean that's what, what that's what uh, certainly the Conservatives' enemies, uh, political enemies, are claiming. That's what some pundits and um, mainstream media is claiming. Aiden that he's taking it to the quote center. Um, I think that what is happening with the Conservatives is very much a natural evolution uh, that befalls virtually every tr truly national party. And by that I mean a party, no matter whether its roots are in the West or in Central Canada or in the East, uh, every national party goes through uh, a strategic um, evaluation mm -hmm. in looking at how they can win government. 
Um, the reality is, is if you're running as a national party, and if you're a leader like Aaron O'Toole, that uh, would like to become prime minister, then you have to look at how to appeal to where the most votes and the most members of parliament are. That's the problem with our system, uh, that it's taken me a lifetime to realize that uh, we're never going to get accurate representation of Western Canada under our current system, because it doesn't matter whether you're conservative, liberal, NDP, whatever, and you're elected in Western Canada, your party is going to be focused on appealing to uh, the voters in Ontario and Quebec, because there's far more of them, as you're aware. And um, so, uh, you know, how do I feel about that? As I said, I think that uh, it's quite natural. It's, I don't agree with it, uh, because it obviously ends up, as so often in the past, taking conservative support in Western Canada for granted. And uh, I'm here to change that. And uh, the Maverick Party is going to change that. And we are not going to make the mistake that I and others made uh, when we uh, voted to expand the Reform Party back in the early 90s uh, across Western Canada uh, to Central and Eastern Canada. We're not going to make that mistake. Uh, we're going to emulate the Bloc Québécois uh, where they only run in Quebec, we're only going to run in the West, and we're going to communicate to all Western voters where we do run, uh, as I said earlier, that they have a choice between uh, electing a Conservative that no matter how good a person that individual is, how hard they work, how well-intentioned they are, they are going to be censored by their leader and their party in what they can promote and say because of the desire to win seats in central Canada. And that's the reality of our system in Canada, and that's what we're going to be fighting against as Mavericks. Wow. And going back to the Harper, so how, do you, how do you think Stephen Harper balanced the, the, the different conservative values and views and principles, like such as the Blue Tories and the Red Tories? How do you, how do you think Stephen Harper combined the, the, progress, the progressives and the, and the socials? Well, I think in many cases it was just the strength of his personal leadership, uh, Aiden. Having worked extremely close, closely with Stephen Harper, I would have to say that while he was not the most loved individual, he was not the most liked Prime Minister, and certainly that ended up being partly his undoing uh, in 2015. Uh, but he, in my estimation, there is absolutely no question he was the best prime minister in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and most of that, I believe, was just the strength of his intellect, the strength of his convictions as a conservative, and the strength of his leadership. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he did, he did a great job of not only keeping the caucus together, uh, but keeping our support uh, all across Canada uh, fairly solid. Uh, we didn't see this division that we see right now uh, happening in the uh, Conservative caucus, both amongst their members of Parliament and indeed amongst the party and many of its supporters across the land. It's not only in the West where there's a lot of dissension right now about the leadership of Aaron O'Toole. I think that's accurate 
and um, I think it's unfortunate for the party. Uh, obviously, it's helpful for myself and for Maverick in the West to have this unfolding as it is, uh, because um, you know there's an age-old thing that we used to always struggle with um, as as reformers and then as Canadian Alliance and ultimately as conservatives. And of course, I was at the forefront of this because uh, I was four times the caucus whip and twice the House leader, both in opposition and in government. So I was often at the epicenter of trying to keep the caucus united. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that there are times when uh, you have to be able to prove to the general public, the voting public, that you're able to govern yourselves because it's the old adage, well, if they start to fracture or if they start to vote differently uh, amongst themselves, uh, then people will point out, well, if they can't govern themselves as a party and as a caucus, how on earth can they ask Canadians to let them govern the country? For sure. And therein lies the problem for all of these old uh, national parties. Mm -hmm. and, now, and now looking at, at lockdowns and, and some conservatives going against some of, uh, some of their principles such look, looking at lockdowns such as example as Ontario I'm from Ontario the lockdowns here they they um, do seem seem to last longer in, in some cases and even but even in, in Alberta Saskatchewan and Manitoba they've lasted not even four or five months they um, they just basically go on the data and numbers provided what's your stances or the or the uh, Maverick Party stances on lockdowns due to COVID? Well, we don't have a position. And be why is that? It's because uh, myself and Maverick, our board of directors, obviously we've debated this, Aiden, over the last nine months. Uh, obviously, the restrictions and the lockdowns, as you call them, are, um, are make the challenge of of expanding and growing a political party, a new party, that much greater. I mean, that stands to reason. We can't hold uh, public meetings, we can't hold rallies, we can't get out and meet with people and try and carry the maverick message to the uninformed. Uh, so we recognize all that, and because of that, we have discussed it and debated it. But we aren't taking a position, and I can honestly tell you why, because you have probably upwards of half of uh, the citizenry of this country that are increasingly concerned about the um, restrictions on charter rights, okay? But equally, you have the other half that are concerned about grandpa or grandma and the vulnerable, the people that have uh, other health challenges that make them more vulnerable to this virus. And so for a political party like Maverick to take a position one way or the other would truly uh, be of no service to anyone. Uh, obviously, uh, this is a highly emotional issue. Are we concerned about some of the restrictions on charter rights of, of movement and speech and a number of other things? Of course we are. But we're equally concerned about taking the necessary steps, uh, whether voluntarily or whether enforced. Uh, to protect the vulnerable in our society. And um, so I'm not going to uh, sit here today with you, Aiden, and try to second guess 
governments. I'm sure that they're acting, whether it's at the provincial level or, or federal level, they're acting uh, in the best way that they know possible or that they think is the best way for, for Canadians and for the citizens of their province. Um, these are extremely difficult uh, issues to grapple with. I'm glad I was never at the cabinet table when, when we had to uh, deal with issues like this. Uh, I can, having been at the cabinet table with Stephen Harper and, and my cabinet colleagues and, and based with, for example, the fallout of the 2008 um, recession uh, that hit a lot of Canadians hard and trying to help certain industries, know how difficult it is to grapple with those types of decisions. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not here today to, to second guess what government is trying to do or or how successful they are. Yeah, for sure. And, and entering politics, who were your main political inspirations? Like, what, what political figures? What political speak, as, uh, like you mean as a... Individuals. As a, sort of somebody to look up to? Or? Yeah. Well, I would say probably on... Uh, on... Um, their... their uh, I'd have to say, probably as a bit of a student of history, people like Winston Churchill certainly was someone that uh, that I, I I looked up to uh, during my younger years. Uh, certainly as a mentor, someone that I had the immense and still do have immense respect for, uh, although I differ in opinion occasionally, is Preston Manning. Um, and and later on, of course, we've already discussed him. Stephen Harper, a man that I have immense respect for, for the job he did as Prime Minister of this country. It's not to say he didn't make mistakes. I think he would admit that himself. Uh, we're all human after all. But I think on balance, I would have to rate him, as I already said, the best Prime Minister of my lifetime, certainly someone that I looked up to and continue to look up to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Steve, coming back to, I wasn't obviously old enough when, when Stephen Harper was a power IR, I wouldn't remember I always remember in schools when it was teachers would describe it as Stephen Harper bad and Justin Trudeau good. That's how I always remember. And they've and even in schools now they they still say Justin Trudeau's this and he's and he's that. He's great. He doesn't let the Canes down. Well, the way I see, he does let Canadians down. And it is proven his scandals, his ethics violations, his hit like his history, and even in the twenty fifth or back when the leader liberal leadership uh, before the 2015 election, most Canadians thought that he ran on his father's name. And, and it's just looking at now, it's it truly does describe it, or, well, picture it, because he, he doesn't know how to govern a country. He has blatantly no respect for the laws. He thinks that he's above the law and most ethics and in, in, um, <laughs> violations and, and scandals, such as the SNC-Lavalin. And he, he kicked Jody Wilson-Raybould out of his cabinet because she spoke up and did her duty, right? And what's what's your f take on, on Justin Trudeau and his scandals and, and ethics? Well, I think I'm concerned is, well, let, let me back up and say, as a lifelong conservative, obviously I'm... Um, I judge him quite harshly to begin with, just because I, I'm not in the liberal camp. 
Mm-hmm. It, so that, I have to be honest about that. But secondly, I think that uh, at least for a lot of Canadians, if they set their partisanship aside, if they can do that uh, and set their partisanship aside, they would have to view him uh, with a critical lens in the sense that just as we've just discussed uh, the attributes of Stephen Harper, who I believe was the best qualified prime minister, not only that he was a good prime minister in how he conducted himself on the world stage, how he governed uh, the laws he passed, the the country he attempted to build uh, for the citizens of Canada, but he's, he, in my belief, he was the best qualified to be Prime Minister of Canada. If you look at his credentials, if you look at his intellect, if you look at his moral compass, uh, if you run down this list of desirable attributes for a Prime Minister, he would have to rate very highly, in my estimation, the highest, as I said, of anybody in my lifetime. On the flip side is Justin Trudeau, and I believe even any type of a, a, um, uh, a fair analysis of his strengths and weaknesses would show that Justin Trudeau is the least qualified of any prime minister this country's ever had since 1867. Uh, and I don't think that's being unduly harsh on mm-hmm. the gentleman. The fact of the matter is, uh, you know, he was a part-time drama teacher. I mean, this guy has no qualifications, uh, not intellectually, not uh, academically, not uh, as far as real-life experience. Uh, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, he himself admits that he's have a, had a privileged life. And uh, that's the one thing that I can agree with him on. And, you know, uh, he's been an absolute disaster for Canada. Uh, And he will continue to be. And it absolutely astounds me, Aiden, and it's one of the reasons why I became a reluctant Western separatist, is because after the 2019 election, it became clear that the uh, majority of, of Central and Eastern Canadians despite all of these things being quite evident in 2019, a year and a half ago, they still re-elected him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right, coming back to the, the coming back to the silver spoon, Sorry. like he's known nothing over a million dollars in his bank account. Some Canadians right now, there's nine point, a 9.4% unemployment rate, massive debt, massive deficits, and, and nothing to show for it. No economy, no jobs, nothing. And, is there a question there, Aiden? Well, yeah, well, I want to see what your what your take is. What your take is on on how he spends his the government the government's money. Like like you go from a a surplus, a hundred thirty billion dollars surplus, to a two trillion dollars in debt, hundred and hundred thirty billion dollar deficit. Why do you think that he's so reluctant to spend, spend, spend? and have nothing to show for it. Well, I'd have to just say that he's a liberal. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that astounds me, quite honestly, having been there for the three back-to-back Jean Chrétien uh, majority liberal governments, Aiden, back from 93 to uh, 2005, 
Um, it astounds me that Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin don't speak against what's happening. Just as it's damaging to all Canadians, in my, in my feeling, about this, as you just described, this wanton uh, spendthrift attitude of this government that, uh, you know, just is throwing away billions upon billions upon billions of dollars uh, that I would think that the average grade 12 student could do a better job of managing the economy than what Justin Trudeau and, and his crew have done. And um, so, you know, I, I, I think back to the, the course of action that Preston Manning and we as reformers pushed the Liberal government of the day to address uh, the deficits and the debt. It was the prime reason why I left the farm as a young man with a young family and got into federal politics was out of concern for the future for my three children, my young children, um, because of the growing deficits and, as you say, the, the growth in the debt of the country. And whether that is going to manifest itself as uh, higher taxes in the future, uh, you know, a, a, a restricted economic activity, uh, or all of the above. Uh, what it really means for the next generations, and that's what my uh, why I'm doing this now is out of concern for. I used to have three young children. Now I have three young grandchildren. So the deja vu, what goes around comes around. Uh, we're right back into that cycle of huge deficits and debt. And what it's going to mean for the next generations, for people your age, Aiden, mm -hmm. is it's going to mean loss of opportunity. You are simply not going to have the opportunities for growth, for occupation selection. Uh, they're just not going to be the same chances uh, that my generation enjoyed. Uh, when, when we used to talk, when I was a young man, that uh, a Canadian virtually anywhere in the country could pull themselves up by their bootstraps, no matter, you know, the standard of living they had as a child. The opportunities that were out there, if you wanted to work hard and get ahead, were infinite. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be the, the, the case for people your age, I'm afraid, uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, and largely because of poor government management and the, the bulk of that if I look at uh, when I left office in 2010 and the situation uh, and when Stephen Harper was defeated in 2015 and the mess we have now, uh, I really, I worry for, for the next generations. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how, how do I think about it? I think it's absolutely appalling uh, what Justin Trudeau and his liberal government have done to this country in five short years mm -hmm. and that's the thing too right and now going to pipelines you you have conservative leaders such as such as stephen harper or president trump ex former president trump and and then you go to liberal or, or democrats leaders such as such as justin trudeau or president joe biden who just want to ban or even dismantle pipelines in western energy it, it truly shows that they have no respect for the West at all or Western Canada jobs at all. They've Joe Biden's canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. 
and Justin Trudeau just lets him get away with it. Even the, the coastal gas, I believe it's the Trans Mountain Pipeline, was the former pipeline. Like, there's so many pipelines in there, and even Rachel Notley has gone so far to team up with Justin Trudeau prior to Jason Kenney to dismantle pipelines in Western Canada jobs. Why do you think that the left is so keen to dismantle Western jobs without no morals? Well, I guess the easy answer would be you'd have to ask them, uh, and they would argue that point, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think you've hit on one of the the most current sore spots for Western Canada, whether it's Bill C-48 that this government passed a couple of years ago, uh, which has become known as the Anti-Tanker Act, uh, which prevents oil tankers off of the northern Pacific coast, uh, prevents us from shipping oil out of Prince Rupert or or Kitimat or Stewart, those ports in the north, mm-hmm. um, or uh, Bill C-69, which makes it virtually impossible to build new pipelines, or indeed uh, a lot of different energy uh, infrastructure because of the bureaucratic hurdles that are built into that law. Um, those types of laws, when you combine it with uh, this ever-increasing now national carbon tax, when you combine it with the fact that uh, without revealing themselves, they have basically declared war on the Western energy industry. Our own federal government, which from our conversation earlier, in in reality, and if you look back at the approach that Stephen Harper took, uh, he believed that the role of the federal government Uh, not only with energy, but with all our industries in Canada, would be to be the greatest cheerleader on the international stage. And Stephen certainly did that with our our energy industry. Uh, He constantly talked when he was abroad, uh, whether it was in the U.S. or whether it was in Europe or wherever, Asia, he talked about Canada being an energy superpower. And he did that quite proudly. Because as we've already discussed in your show today, um, there is lots to be proud of in how our private sector uh, in Western Canada has built this energy industry to be the envy of the world. And yet we have a a federal government because of their short-sighted and misguided uh, direction on climate change that they believe that somehow they can prove to the world that we are the greatest stewards of protecting the environment by crippling our own industries and destroying families and their livelihoods. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't speak negatively enough about the approach of of Trudeau and his government in, uh, in particular in their attack on our Western energy industry, our oil and gas sector. Mm -hmm. So, I think that probably explains where I'm coming from on that subject. Yeah, and for sure. And, and why do you think that in, that shipping in um, oil and gas from or energy from Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and, and even in China in some parts, instead of using oil, gas and oil from Canada's own country, instead he chooses to bring it in from 
countries with terrible human rights. Why do you th why do you think he still continues to do that? Because it's more profitable, I believe, for uh, for Eastern and Central Canadian inter interests. I think it comes down to dollars and cents, and they can make more money by bringing in, uh, as you say, uh, oil from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Africa or Russia uh, than they can by uh, supporting energy's pipeline and, and uh, become... Canada becoming energy self-sufficient uh, because uh, governments like Mr. Trudeau's have imposed all these conditions on our industry and our industry has more than met those conditions. In many cases they've gone beyond them as you suggest as far as human rights, as far as labour code, as far as environmental protection. Uh, you know you go run down the list of all the things that our oil and gas industry has done, and in many cases willingly done, to take the lead globally in how we produce our energy, to make it the cleanest energy on Earth, uh, and the cleanest in not just environmental standards, but in all other standards. And yet none of those conditions are imposed upon the oil that Central and Eastern Canada import, as you suggest. So why do they do it? The only reason I can see is because they make more money doing it that way. For sure. And just as a couple last things, what if there was numerous Maverick Party candidates elected to the parliament within even the, the first or even the ne or the second next election cycles, what's the Maverick Party's main focus to get done in parliament? Well, as I said, the main focus, because we won't be government, uh, and I, the perfect scenario would be if the Conservative Party continues to do what they're doing, focus on Central and Eastern Canada and win the majority of the seats down there. While Maverick perhaps could win the majority of the seats, as you say, maybe not in the first electoral cycle, but maybe the second election. Mm -hmm. uh, then th ideally we would work with a Conservative government and uh, we would espouse and speak and vote on things that are good for Western Canada. Uh, we would try to do what the NDP is doing with Justin Trudeau right now, where maybe the tail wags the dog. And even though we wouldn't have a lot of members of parliament, we could have a, a very profound influence on a minority parliament, uh, yeah. just as some of the other parties, not just the NDP, but the Bloc Québécois. I've used them in the example in our earlier conversation, Aiden. So uh, our members of parliament, it would be a very simple strategy, just as it is for the Bloc. Uh, if it's good for the West, uh, when uh, a bill or a motion comes before the House, then Mavericks would speak in favour of it, and indeed they would vote for it. If it wasn't, uh, then uh, there would be a lot of negotiations behind the scenes with that minority government and that Conservative Prime Minister uh, to try and force him to see the error of his ways before his government falls. For sure. And just as one last thing, coming back to what you're saying with, with the minority governments, would the Maverick, would Maverick MPs, if they were elected, look to have a coalition government with a minority conservative government? Is that something that the Maverick Party would look at? Well, 
that's a hypothetical question. We're a long ways from that, uh, Aiden. But at this point in time, I'd have to say, based again on my personal experience, it would be highly unlikely um, that there would be any official coalition. It would be more like what we're seeing with uh, uh, Jagmeet. Um, minority the bills motions and, and laws that they are not harmful to the best interests of Westerners. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, I would like to very much thank you for your time. It was a real honor and a a treat to have you on. And I very much look forward to seeing Maverick MPs in Parliament, hopefully within the next two or three election cycles. Well, I hope you'll see at least a handful of them after this next election, Mm Eden. Oh, I do too. I very much look forward to the Maverick Party's future. Thank you, Mr. Hill. It was very great to have you here today. Thank you for having me on your program. Good luck. Thanks. Have a good day. And I was very honored to be joined by the Maverick Party leader, Jay Hill. Make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup. Conservative Roundup.